this is a public service announcement. Do not see glass without seeing Unbreakable first. Do you agree? Yes. So we just saw glass in theaters. Uh, it's just Tara and I again tonight. We're doing another movie review, like the Venom podcast. And we're going to be talking about the East Rail 177 trilogy, as I recently learned it's called. Which is too long. Yeah. It should just be the Glass trilogy or something trilogy. But anyways, so that's three movies. For those of you who don't know, uh, Glass is out in the theaters right now. And <clears throat> it's the conclusion of a trilogy of that, Unbreakable, and Split. And they're all M. Night Shyamalan movies. Split was 2006? Or I meant to say 16. 2016. And Unbreakable was in 2000. And now, of course, it's 2019. So this is a 19-year trilogy in the making. So what we're going to do is we're going to run through... We'll do a synopsis and thoughts of Unbreakable first, which we just watched last night for the first time. Then we'll do Split, and then we'll do Glass. And that way... If people want to listen, especially maybe even hear about Unbreakable without actually having to see it, but then they don't want to hear the spoilers of Glass, you could tune out for that last part. So you're good for the first two movies. In the meantime, we should pour this drink. We should. Where did we find this? Wasn't that served to us at the Brazilian... That's right. Steakhouse? Bogo de Cho. So we got a, a Cabernet Sauvignon that night, and I was like, oh, this is pretty good. We had a super awesome waiter. And he's just like, oh, you like that? You can get a Kroger for 20 bucks. And he wrote it, wrote the name on a little notepad for us. So oh, That's a nice heady pour. Heady Lamar. It's Headley Blazing Saddles. I know. Cheers. Thanks for joining me tonight. You're welcome. That could be something of a go-to for cab yeah. for me. This is J Lore, J period L O H R, by the way. And we should, on our next movie podcast that we do, we should do one of our staple whites. Yeah. From our white kicks. So, Unbreakable. Bruce Willis is, he starts off the movie on a train ride, and you can see there's something going on with his marriage, and because he like takes his wedding ring off, tries to flirt with this woman. Then there's a huge uh, train wreck, and everybody hundred and some people on the train, everybody dies. And it's an extremely, it's a freak accident, you know, no chance of survival. And not only does he survive, but he walks away without a scratch. Uh, comes home, everybody is, you know, totally perplexed by the whole thing. And, you know, you can tell that his wife is very happy that, it, that he's alive, you know, even though it seems like maybe they were separated and she's thinking maybe it's a sign. You know, they're, they're sort of on, on the road to maybe some sort of reconciliation. And all, all the while, <clears throat> he goes right back to his normal job, which is a security job at a, uh, a sports arena or stadium mm-hmm. of some kind. And football, duh. He comes out to his car one day, and there is a, an envelope that says limited edition. That's like where it's from. And it says, how, how many days have you been sick in your life? And he sits and thinks about it and says, you know, he's thinking he can't recall any time that he's been sick. So he, he actually checks with his employer, how many days have I been sick? He winds up asking his wife, when was the last time you remember me being sick? In our case, uh, it's like all the time, it seems like, with this stupid cough. But he, he's his wife can't come up with anything, and she's like, oh, I'm just t- tired, I can't think of it. But <clears throat> nobody can come up with any time when he's been sick or even injured. 
And so he talks to this crazy comic book collector guy who, in the beginning of the movie, in the very, very beginning also, I guess, they showed a baby that was born and coming out of the womb, he had fractured bones. So he had some weird bone disease. And then Samuel L. Jackson is all grown up and he's this individual with this osteoporosis type. Brittle, brittle bone disease. Brittle bone disease. Osteogenesis imperfecta. Was that what it was? Possibly. I'm pulling that right off the top of my the head. The imperfecta part, yes. Then I think it was osteogenesis. Yeah. I think that's what it was. Right. And I don't even know if that's a real thing. I, I Oh, probably, brittle bone disease is a real I, thing. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know that's real. I don't know if that's the name of the disease, but <clears throat> before we go too far down uh, the rabbit hole, as it turns out, Samuel L. Jackson, his name is Elijah. He's the one that left that envelope for Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis goes to his comic book store, which is called Limited Edition. And one thing that I really enjoyed about Unbreakable right off the bat is it made me feel there were multiple things in the movie that made me feel very uncomfortable, especially in the beginning, like this, the scene with the Elijah was talking to the guy who wanted to buy that real crazy comic for oh, his son. Yeah, that was I, horrible. I felt super awkward there. I felt awkward in the beginning whenever Bruce Willis was flirting with the woman on the train. Random things like that. So I, I always enjoy a movie that can make me feel weird about that. Like Some sort. secondhand embarrassment. Yeah, that vicarious oh, I feeling. Hate exactly. That. I so, hate that so much. And you and I were both like cringeworthy, you know, just sitting there watching on the couch. Couch. But anyways, he talks to Bruce Willis, and he just says he has this theory that comic books are a link, like throughout human history, to things that people have seen or witnessed or or experienced firsthand before, and that comic book heroes and superheroes and supervillains actually exist. Elijah keeps trying to convince Bruce Willis's character. What's his name? I'm a John David. David. Thank you. David Dunn. That he is, he's basically superhuman and he has these abilities because he can't be hurt. And there are several things in Bruce Willis's David Dunn's past that are like incongruencies. There's one where like he almost drowned as a kid because he was being bullied. And another one where he is quote injured in a car accident that ended his football career. Mm -hmm. And one other thing that he has is he has the ability whenever he touches people or like brushes past them, anything like that, he can get these flashes of something bad they've done. It can be everything, anything from a petty crime all the way up to, you know, rape or murder. Serial killer. Yeah. Exactly. So or both anyways, at, at this one point in the movie, David realizes and comes to terms with the fact that he is indeed probably superhuman or a superhero or whatever you want to call it. And he calls Elijah and says, what do I do? And Elijah is basically saying, you need to do what you were born or set out to do. You, sh you need to go out and help people who are in need. So go to a, a very crowded place and, you know, feel all these people out. Literally just brush into them like Grand Central Station, Station kind of thing. And you'll be able to see who you need to help. Yeah, he brushes past with this one crazy maintenance. Like, they do, like, a petty crime. They do a hate crime. And then they see this one guy who did a home invasion and murdered and this one, the father of the house and is raped and murdered the mother and, and locked up the two kids. So he goes to this house. He follows this guy back to this house that he took over, David does. And he finds the children, uh, finds the, the murdered husband and wife, and eventually finds, you know, the guy who did it all. Jumps on his back. And starts just choking him out to death. And this was, cinematically, this was my favorite part of the movie. Because he is getting thrown about. The the bad guy is trying to throw him off his shoulders. Throwing him into the walls. And it looks it looks very real. Mm -hmm. But Bruce Willis, David Dunn is completely unaffected by the whole thing. I just, I love the way that scene plays out. And he eventually chokes him out and kills him. So this gets reported in the newspaper. 
And, you know, there's this guy that walks around in this Florida State University security cloak, which is great. And, and it's a hood up to, like, keep, keep his identity secret. You know, a morning after, a couple days or whatever, David Dunn slides the newspaper over to his son at the, at the breakfast table whenever the mother is sort of not paying attention. She's cooking at the stove. And his son is a huge believer in him being a superhero. And, you know, it's my dad. He's got all these superpowers. So he's all about it. And that was actually my favorite moment in the movie because it, it, was, it was kind of a, like a moving scene because he points at the headline, meaning David points at the headline showing that this superhero basically comes in and rescues this, well, half the family and kills this bad guy. And, and he, he slides it toward his son and points at it. And the kid looks up and he almost... He almost gets these tears in his eyes like he's going to cry. And it, it pans back to David. And he also is almost in tears. And he just like nods. And it's like this acknowledgement like you you. And he, I think he mouths you were right to his son. It's, it's just such a powerful scene. Was that an all right synopsis? Did I forget anything huge? I mean, there's little things, but you should. This, yeah, this is a great things. movie. I mean, we didn't go over too many spoilers. I mean, that was a general. I mean, something, that was something <clears throat> you could read online. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, of that course. Was, that, was a, that was a perfect. Outline. So what did you think about Unbreakable? I thought it was a very well done movie. I like that you see this guy's arbitrary life as a security guard and then get this huge backstory about the character and the life and what's going on. And then you can see like the deeper meaning, especially the ending. Is this a spoiler cast? Are we doing spoilers? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. When he hands the newspaper to Mr. Glass. Oh! And thank you. Take when this. he hands that newspaper... And Samuel L. Jackson's character basically was like, we're arch enemies in this whole contextual whatever superhero universe. world universe that we live in. I just thought that that was a really, really, really well done. I don't know the term for it. I think it was, it was well good. done cinematography and, and story building M. Night Shyamalan's part. And it was a classic M. Night Shyamalan <clears throat> plot twist. I mean, that's what he's known yeah. for. Thank you, Tara, for bringing up the most obvious thing that I forgot to talk about, which is the actual ending. So he goes back to Elijah at this exhibition at his limited edition comic stand, and that is whenever the dots are put together. The whole movie, Elijah was fixated on, you know, you were the only one out of the only survivor out of all of these things. Mm -hmm. You know, I witnessed it. There was this hotel fire and this and this can't remember the other thing. And in a hotel or the, the train derailment. And you were the only one that survived out of all of them. And it turns out that he was actually, he was like sort of trying to find himself. And, and if, if, if he was a mistake, you know, genetically, or if there was a reason that he was there. And basically he's the antithesis of, of David Dunn because he's got these brittle bones and he's very weak, but he's super intelligent to compensate. And it turns out he's this criminal mastermind and, and basically a terrorist. And he, he says, I believe this is where we shake hands. And he shakes hands with Bruce Willis. Mm -hmm. And then he gets all those flashes of him being responsible, of Elijah yeah. being responsible for everything. And that's when it, the movie is sort of set up for this continuation of this story. Yeah, and I, when you watch them, because it came out in 2000, right. and had I seen that and been and, uh, full with my full brain function like an adult, mm -hmm. if I had seen that as an adult at that time period in theaters... I would have been satisfied with it being a standalone movie. Sure. So not only was the movie great standalone 20 years ago, almost. Yeah. I think it's perfect in a trilogy as well. Or a sequel. Yeah. When they did 
split. Exactly. So I think they could have gone either way. And I think M. Night Shyamalan revisited the movie. He might have just been sitting down and like rewatched and been like, wow, there's a lot of things that we can do with this. And then just one off because of just because of the time lapse in that whole trilogy between the first and second movie. And I want to come back to that. As to whether or not I think he knew he... There, you could probably look this up online. I haven't yeah. looked up a lot of this online. But I want to know if he had this planned all along. I would guess maybe yes. But but who knows? Well, um, i got to sort my thoughts. Because there's a lot of stuff I, I want to say at the end. After we've discussed all three movies. So, do you want me to do the synopsis of Split? Yeah, please do. Are we diving right in? Are yeah, just dive right in? in. Okay, well, Split terrified me. Mm-hmm. because it's the psychological thriller of, you know, the movie starts off, these three girls are, you know, hanging out with their parents at their, someone's birthday party, and the one girl, she's kind of weird, ostracized, a little bit outcast. Like, you can tell that she is a different breed of mentality. Like, and you see these people in any high school, school, anywhere. Like, you see people that are outliers in normal thought processes, and this girl is one of them, and... I think the actress was, oh, I forget her name, but she's a really good actress. Oh, I like her Anya Taylor-Joy. Yeah, yeah. Or something like that. She, she was in The Witch. She's in The Witch. And yes. she, yeah, I, I like her face. She's a, she's a good actress. Um, but you see the main male character, which I don't know his name. James McAvoy. James McAvoy. So you see James McAvoy's character come into the light, basically like knock out the father when these girls are all getting ready to leave. He gets in the car... And, for lack of a better term, kidnaps them. Yeah. And takes them somewhere that they don't know. And the whole movie is basically revealed. He has multiple personalities, and each one of them is vastly different from the other. You have a nine-year-old boy. You got re- Patricia. Patricia, arranged from, from a girl. You get you have someone who speaks. Dennis is OCD. Yeah, there, there's someone who has um, diabetes, so they take insulin shots. Jade. Yep. There, there's, there's, there's Barry, the artist. There's a ton of different people, and... Um, the actor that played that James McAvoy is an incredible actor because of yes. um, just the way that he can manipulate his face and his tone of voice and everything about who he is to embody different human beings is just incredible. That way, was that was fascinating. The way he transitions on camera, yeah, is yeah. mind blowing. Yes, yeah. Um, in the in the whole movie, you basically see the harrowing experiences of these girls being locked up in in cells and rooms somewhere that they have no idea where they're at, dealing with someone who's basically psychotic, you know, talking about preparing for the beasts to come and, like, all this stuff. And then and you see... They're going to be sacrificed. Yep, and then you see James McAvoy leave and go talk to his therapist and all, all of these other things. So it was really interesting because you, you come to really like certain aspects of the person, but then you, like, are also, like this is really weird. Like, this is bizarre. Like, I'm really freaked out. So the girls are trying to devise plans to to leave. And at night, his therapist comes to visit him and talk to him because all of his other personalities will send emails saying we need help and all this stuff and, like, schedule, like, emergency meetings to see her. But when he does get to see her, everyone else is suppressed. So he doesn't really say what's going on, but the therapist knows that something bad is going on. Mm-hmm. And she finally gets there and she's talking to him. And, uh, you know, he, she walks in, sees a girl on the floor and the therapist is basically killed 
squeezed to death because the beast comes. So, the beast comes and bear hugs yeah, her to death. The, it's the beast. So I think she gets knocked out or she gets like sprayed with he like chloroform or whatever. Her, yeah. So she right. wakes up and she scrawls the something on a notepad and then the beast literally comes back into the room, hugs her from behind to death, literally crushes her whole body. You see her slump to the floor. And then the rest of the the other two not important girls get eaten basically, which is and they that show was, a decent yeah bit. they show a lot that that movie <laughs> took a really wild turn yeah. um from the first one which was good bad whatever I think yeah. that was interesting but that bothered me and then you see Anya running away and Casey in Casey the in the movie she at the end is basically locked in a cell and he's trying to get to her and trying to eat her as well. And throughout the movie, you see flashes of her past um, experiences with her father passing away. She was most likely molested as a child by her her uncle. uncle. Um, And you see her shirt is ripped off um, and she's just wearing a tank top. And you see all these scars all over her body of like knives, cigarette burns, all these things. Scratches, maybe. Scratches, whatever. And... The beast recognizes her being pure because she's a broken individual who's experienced much suffering. And he backs off and leaves her alone. Like, he lets her survive because she's a broken individual, too. Just like the the normal person that was... Kevin. Kevin. So So Kevin was abused and he was a broken person. And he became pure through his brokenness and suffering. I got that mixed up. Does that make them... Pure or impure? That makes them pure. That makes they're, they're purified through suffering. Yes, yeah. you you have a purification through suffering, which is another whole. Yeah, so that's like those those other girls. They'd never really been through anything truly traumatic, and that's why they were to be sacrificed. Exactly. Yeah. So people who are have been through something traumatic or suffered through something, they are exempt basically from from the beast's wrath. Yes. So he lets her go. He escapes, and then they have that little spoiler at the end where they show David Dunn. So people who, you know, and he mentions Mr. Glass, I think. So that's sort of an allusion to the first movie that people who had already seen it prior to Split, which is not you or me, Mm -hmm. would have really enjoyed. Yes. Split is by far and away my favorite of the three. What's your favorite? Um... I shouldn't say by far and away. Unbreakable was really good. Uh, oh, that's a hard one because I can't, after seeing all three of them, I can't just take one out and single it out by itself. I can't. If I was forced to, <laughs> if someone said you have to pick one, I would pick the first movie. Because, yeah, as your favorite? Because it's a, it, it in and of itself is a standalone movie and it totally. stood alone for at least 15 to 16 years. Yeah. By itself. Yeah. And then it was revisited like, oh, let's just do some more off of this because we can capitalize and yeah. get more money. So um, I would pick the first one. But after we do the glass synopsis, then I'll, I'll describe. Okay. okay, fair enough. I'm excited okay. to get there. So this is exciting for both of us because... Tara and I were sitting in the movie, credits were rolling, I said, save it for the podcast. I gave her the, the classic Tommy line, we have not discussed anything, we just watched it an hour ago. So, in Glass, long story short, so I'll try and be very concise, and again, if you have not seen it yet, and if you want to see it, please watch Unbreakable first, if not, there's nothing I can do. But, uh, you know, if you don't want the spoilers, you can tune out for the, for the rest of this, but in Glass... 
Elijah's already in the, the mental institution from the first movie. That was the end of the first yep, movie. Yep, the end of the first movie. You see he's locked up in an insane asylum or whatever. Yes. David Dunn has moved on. Uh, he has his own like private security business. His wife has passed on from cancer. Mm -hmm. And his son helps him with the business. And they sort of... It's like... It's like... It's almost like Batman, okay? So you have, you have David Dunn. He's the vigilante. Yep. And then his son is basically like Morgan Freeman in Dark Knight. Um... Lucius Fox. That, Lucius Fox. Yeah, that, that's sort of what that makes me think of their relationship there. And there's there's another neat little head nod where they show M. Night Shyamalan because he always has a cameo appearance in his movies. And he was a drug dealer in Unbreakable. And in this one, David and M. Night Shyamalan see each other. And he's like, do I know you? And he mentions about, oh, yeah, I was hanging out with a bad crowd back then, but I turned my life around. So I like that they sort of justified that interaction. But if you, do you want to... Go ahead, jump in on the synopsis. Well, through a series of circumstances, all three of these individuals end up in an insane asylum. Because Mr. Glass is already in there. Right, from um, the first movie. David Dunn gets in a fight with... Do you want to just call him Kevin or the Beast? We'll call him the Beast. Yeah. So, so the Beast or, you know, all the different personalities, they've collected another four four girls to harvest and feed to the Beast. And David Dunn is you know, hanging out, perusing the neighborhood, trying to find the individual who's responsible for it because it's a huge news story or whatever. And he brushes up against Hedwig, which is the nine-year-old personality. Yeah. And he gets the flash of seeing, like, you know, the four girls in the room or whatever and ends up finding this, wherever they're being held captive, frees them and then gets in a fight with the beast and then they both tumble out of a window and then there's a ton of cops everywhere. And on my initial, my initial reaction to that was bullshit. I was like, this is all bullshit. But after seeing the movie, I'm like, okay, I can kind of understand let's, how they knew that they were there. But let's finish this. Synopsis yes. So, um, because I have a lot of things I want to yeah. say. <laughs> so they all end up in this insane asylum thing. And there's this woman who is just talking down and downplaying and calling basically the thoughts about themselves delusions because they think they're superheroes or have these superhuman abilities and they're not normal people. And she's trying to rationally explain everything away. Um, you know, it was, oh, it was old steel, all this stuff. Shotgun was compromised. There was moisture in the room. Like, you know, she, she goes through and you see David Dunn and then you see the beast and all the personalities. They start to doubt themselves because of that so there's a psychological aspect there and then when you see mr glass he's basic he looks like a vegetable because they're sedating him and mr glass sneaks out of his room goes and talks to patricia and you know some of the other personalities about wanting to meet the beast and go back, goes back to his room and he somehow ends up devising a plan to get them to escape so they can go to a city and have a showdown or whatever and to show the world to that show they all the world, exist. Yeah, that they exist and have these powers and they're not alone. They get to the point where they get to escape and they go into the basement. They leave and they basically have this big showdown out front. Mr. Glass enlightened David on the plan and basically said, Oh, if you want to stop him from killing a bunch of people, the beast from killing people, then you need to break down this steel door. That's the only thing preventing you from coming and saving a bunch of lives. Yeah. And so there's motivation for him to get out and... You actually do see David Dunn's character break down the steel door that's holding him in his cell or room or whatever. They get outside and they actually do have a showdown. And so Mr. Glass is just, 
He's sitting in his chair watching everything Which because he's ridiculous. a cerebral person. Yeah. Um, but then you see this huge showdown and and there and there's a really cool fight scene. And then they shoot the beast after he is subdued by Anya. Be- before that. Before that. It is also revealed that Kevin Wendell Crumbs, who is the beast, his dad was on the same train that derailed yes. in Unbreakable. So in essence, Elijah. The criminal mastermind, terrorist, bone brittle boy, he basically killed his father. He killed Kevin's father, thus creating the beast and also creating or or allowing David Dunn to realize his potential as a superhero. So he like created them or he brought them to light in essence, which is a good, good pun for the movie. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. And then he gets shot. So he gets shot because Kevin Kevin comes out because of Anya hugging him. Oh, before this, the beast punched Mr. Glass, so he's crippled on the ground, just bleeding out internally. Yeah, because he was mad. Yep. And David Dunn, that was a harder one to swallow, him dying, but he um, he was in that tank of water, and so he's actually having his head held down. And as he's having his head held down... In this puddle. In this puddle, you see... Well, the first first instance of it, you see the sniper that shoots the beast in Kevin has the clover tattoo. The sniper had it? The sniper I had the tattoo. That. Yeah. Okay. The person holding down David Dunn's head in the water puddle had the clover tattoo. And the therapist had the clover tattoo. And in his flash, David Dunn's flash... He sees all these people in a room. This so like he, clandestine. Yep. So he cabal. sees that there is now. There's like an organization. There, these people are part of an organization, and some of the final words that Mister Glass hears from the therapist, who is trying trying to treat quote unquote treat them, she basically was like, "Yeah, you were right. There are people like you, but we need to maintain balance so we don't let you come into the light or whatever. Like we don't let you. They be keep in the order in society. Yeah, they keep order in society." This this group, this Black Clover group, whoever they are. And so then he passes away. And then you see kind of a series of events and conversation unfold around, you know, they're going to continue to do all these things. And this woman is in a comic book shop and she overhears a conversation about, you know, the evil villain mastermind. You know, that's the one thing that you're never looking for. He, You're looking over here, but he's really doing something over here. And that's mm-hmm. when she, you know, clicks it together like, oh, my God. He never wanted to go to that big tower, new tower in the center of town. He got everything he needed by the video cameras. And there was a huge live stream, like, upload on the security footage out front of the uh, insane asylum or the mental hospital. So at the end of the movie, it kind of pans and you see the mother of Mr. Glass. You see David Dunn's son and then you see Anya sitting in uh, a terminal or a station or whatever when this video is basically uploaded to the masses and it goes viral and all these people are watching it which is heartwarming i i liked i liked that ending okay so now so the whole world knows that heroes and villains exist superheroes and supervillains i should say this was by far my least favorite of the three movies what about you i actually thought that this movie was it was frustrating the whole entire thing was so frustrating, but the the but the ending did it for you. That did it for me. Okay. That actually redeemed it. Redeemed it for me because when I saw, and I don't know if you remember, you noticed this, 
the woman that was on the train that David Dunn was hitting on had the same tattoo on her waist. Holy so I shit. Don't know, Are you sure? I don't know what that... I think it was the same shape leaf. Wow. I, I would I, have I, to Google images of the wrist tattoos and the woman's abdomen tattoos, but I think they're the same exact okay. leaf, which is, which is weird. And I don't know if that's foreshadowing for something else, but I absolutely hated that whole sequence of them getting captured outside of a warehouse. And I'm like, one, how, well, and it's because they're a secret organization. They keep tabs on everybody. I was like, how the hell did they find these people? Like, well, where was the tip? Like, if it, if this guy had four people locked up in a in a warehouse somewhere, like, you're telling me this organization didn't give one shit and they wanted to let David Dunn find him and sacrifice basically four girls for the sake of getting them both at the same time. And mm-hmm. that, I hated that part of it. But I swallowed the pill when I found out that they were a secret organization. So I was like, okay, that makes sense. Like, all that shitty shit makes sense. Like, her being... A crazy person makes sense because like any logical person who would have been in her shoes would have been like, oh, if I'm an actual therapist, I want to see you demonstrate to me these abilities you think you so you all have. Like, go ahead, go ahead and let's get video evidence of this. But none of that happened because they weren't real doctors. They were just police officers in this world of supernatural. Everything you said is part of the problem that that I have. We, we take issue with the fact that they tried to rationalize everything and say, oh, the, the shotgun shells were compromised and that steel was very old and I was able to bend it with a wrench, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that's what that ending was. It was a rapid rationalization of everything that we had seen in the movie. It, to me, it was like a very cheap explanation for why it was all happening and the way that it happened. But Going back to your train conversation with um, the the girl that was on on the train in the first movie, and you said they showed that quick clip from the, that was that was definitely a, like a clip from the original from mm-hmm. Unbreakable. There were uh, one or two others in that movie that were that Bruce Willis looked so convincing convincingly young that they even and Spencer Treat Clark still looked like it could have been him. I'm not sure if they CGI'd the hell out of them, which is possible, or if M. Night Shyamalan filmed a, like one or two snippets almost 20 years ago for use in a future movie. Oh. The, whenever he walked into to his son's bedroom, was yeah. it James? Or Joseph. It's Joseph, yeah. And he was talking to him. That looked pretty legit to me. I, that did not look... I, I, I don't will know, say, though. I think... If I was, if I was a director... And I directed a movie and I had a lot of extra film. I sure as shit would save all of it just because one, I'm a pack rat Two, You never know when you're going to need it. And three for bloopers. But I mean, I really, I really truly think. Could have been a deleted scene. It could have been a deleted scene. It could have been anything. And I think when they revisited it, they're like, oh, let's see if we have any, you know, extra film from the movie and see what we can work with and then build it into the final well, speak, speaking of revisiting, another big problem I had with Glass was they spent way too much time holding people's hands who hadn't seen Unbreakable. Yeah. And it's because they were focused on, you know, being well-received critically and probably box office success and all of that by extension money. And I realized that that movie was 19 years ago, so it's mm-hmm. it's 
likely that most people seeing it have not seen Unbreakable, or at least maybe half, I don't know. But I still take issue with it. And I literally became an Unbreakable hipster overnight. So I get how I get how ridiculous that is. But there were so many things in Glass that were just catching up the viewer. I felt like the movie didn't even start for an hour. They were basically just rehashing things. Oh, did you see Unbreakable? Did you see Split? This is funny. Listen to this little quip. Dennis comes out and he's like, oh, good. Your, your clothes are clean. And it's like, haha, yes, I saw Split. I get it. Continue. And things, you know, if they spent a little bit too much time, in my opinion, just rehashing those same ideas and and getting people caught up. I mean, imagine yeah. doing that in like in another huge franchise. The only franchise. thing I'll say about the personality part of it, where you talked about the clothes getting clean, I will say those are staples of each of those different personalities. And so for him to not make a comment about that, when you see the Dennis personality in Split, he's an OCD neat freak. He's a crazy neat freak. And that was a huge, huge part of his persona. So I don't think, I didn't take issue with any of the personality stuff. And like, I don't think they overplayed Hedwig being like a nine-year-old boy. No, I, that was one example I gave. Yeah, that part didn't so much get me as it, um, so much as. The other stuff you talked about earlier. Yeah, some of the other stuff earlier. I'm trying, I'm trying to think if I can come up with like a specific example. It, it, It was. I noticed that there was a collision of worlds because I think Unbreakable is a very different movie than Split is. And so is Glass. And I, and I think they're all. I think, I think Glass is ridiculous. Yeah, I think it's different, but I think it's it's a what do I want to say? Like an ugly baby of the first two because you have basically like a like a movie. Like when I watched Unbreakable, I thought it was kind of like a like an everyday average Joe superhero movie where he he's not really a superhero, but he has. A lot of other things in him that no one else has that makes him better than certain people at certain things. He's, for all intents and purposes, more than human because he can bend steel and he can just lift an an insane amount. And he has those mental flashes of being able to see the sins that people have committed. And so you watch that movie and you have a feel good feeling. You're like, okay, you know, the worst... The worst part of that movie was watching the flashes of people's sins and then him going to the house and seeing people tied up and stuff. Like, that was the darkest that the movie got for me. Mm-hmm. And then you go to Split, and Split is... Dark the whole way. Dark the whole way, and you see pretty blatant cannibalism, and it's it, it, it's terrifying. It's a pretty scary movie. And so then in this movie, you see kind of both. You see the superhero aspect of, like, oh, you guys are all delusional. And then you see... The beast out front, you sucking the blood and visceral shit out of someone's, some cop's neck. And it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, there's still a fucked up element of this movie that they had in Split, but it's still comic-y and gimmicky like the first one in that, oh yeah, we've got, we've got little powers or we've got like better things that not every average person has. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's a matter of perception, you know, and this is totally subjective, but in a way, I wish Unbreakable was its own thing and stood alone. Mm-hmm. And then Split could be the exact same thing, minus the the cameo with Bruce Willis at the end. Yeah. And they could both be wonderful, wonderful standalone movies. I, I like the idea of tying them together. I was not crazy about the execution. And I hated that psychiatrist who was actually the lead cabal person 
but Sarah Paulson is the actress's name. I hated her character. I don't like her as a person. She well, I, I, I just don't. I just I don't know anything about her. I don't know anything about her either. I didn't like the way she talked. That's that's funny because I think she was named like one of the world's one hundred most influential women, and I have no idea who she is. But neither here nor there. Um, yeah, it, it's just that was. I was a little underwhelmed. I was too, until the end, because you think, and I actually got satisfaction because I was secretly. I don't know how you can do this, but I was secretly rooting for all three of them. I'm like, oh. no, I agree. And, I was and like, that's I, I, good I was like, filmmaking. I, you know, I was like, I really wish the three of these people could figure it out. And then. Wish you could, wish she, they could coexist. Yeah. Like in a way. Yeah. I, I, I felt bad because I'm like, Bruce Willis literally got shat on. He was like, he was saving people from getting raped, mugged, murdered, whatever. And, and everyone's like throwing a huge fit and then he's getting put in the same category as someone who's literally eating guts out of someone else's body and they think that that is the same level of, oh, you both need to be in a psych ward and evaluated her. Yeah, they all got that screwed me. but on then, different levels. Yeah, and then he gets his head held under to drown and it's like, oh my gosh, like what the hell is wrong with this? But then at the end of the movie you see Mr. Glass he has saw he saw through the whole facade Elijah. and he Show knew yeah, Elijah he knew that there was something deeper to it and he got one over on them yeah that that was a redeeming quality yeah he That's, had the most important role yeah really. that actually saved the movie for me because you see not only is he a master villain but he's also just a mastermind in general because he knew that there was no way that they were going to live and this organization was going to let them live a normal life ever again because they had all been captured basically. and and, and without so, him David without him none of them would and have Kevin never come to light yeah and they would have just been subdued and thought that they were normal people or whatever mm -hmm. and for him to think that far ahead to live stream everything was that was redeeming and I will say I don't think they had this movie in mind because back in 2000 I mean imagine a live stream that's like something on the news so I think they played on the times and they used like technology of like yeah everyone's on their phones and live streaming things well yeah that's something that you could write in you know in, yeah you to, could write that in the times yeah. yeah so i mean like if they would have done this trilogy for example in the early 2000s it would have been the same story but different execution yeah, with maybe. certain things like that like they still would have had a, a massive amount of people seeing that battle taking place sure. to bear witness to it. And they didn't need to go bear witness on a big new skyscraper in the middle of a city, like a classic superhero story. Yeah. They use well, technology. The yeah. They use technology and they said, okay, we, we don't need to go all the way there. All we need to do is get cameras on the front lawn and that's it. And have these yeah. people seeing these things and the beast climbing walls and stuff. Well, th this is actually a topic I, I, I regret a little bit. I wish I had outlined it a little bit better because I, I feel like there's a lot that we didn't get to talk about and we had to just gloss over. I mean, we tried to cover three movies in 45 minutes. So. Oh my God, we've been talking for 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's basically the best we could do. But uh, the parting thought, the one other thing that I brought up last night you agreed with, uh, I think there's something weird going on with M. Night Shyamalan and water. Because... Yeah. Water was like a, a central theme and a weakness in Unbreakable and then by extension in Glass. 
of course, signs. signs that aliens are weak to water. Mm-hmm. And then he has another movie called Lady in the Water, which I've never seen. And we need to watch that. And there's probably more out there. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't even Googled this. I want to look into it more. But a new conspiracy. H two O conspiracy. Hey, everybody should check these movies out. They're they're really cool. If you haven't seen any of them, I I think it's well worth your time to see all three. I just I think the first two are great. I think Glass is good at best. I. I will agree. I think the first movie was the best. I think the second movie, even though it scared me, was very, very good. And I think in order to make them a... I think the third movie did the best it could to tie one and two yeah. together. Yeah, like, that's I really, I really think he, he made that movie the best it could be to get both of those movies connected and to get like a final restitution at the end of it. Yeah. Where it was basically like a big... You know, triple suicide. Fu to this organization yeah. that was like the pulling strings. And I, I think the reason why Split is the most special of the three for me is that was the first time I saw James McAvoy do that performance, and it was mind blowing, and it, it was almost already played out in Glass. I'm not gonna say it wasn't still impressive because it was. I still don't know how he does that, but it's like okay, well. He did this in Split, and now they're milking it. You, yeah. you know how I feel about milking stuff. I well, get, I get, I have a very I, low tolerance for it. I mean, that's the that's the whole movie industry. I mean, well, I have a problem they're, with. They're it. remaking yeah. every Disney fairy princess movie back yeah. into a live, like a live action movie. They're making Lion King into live action, and it's yep. like the movie industry is milking all of us like cows. Yeah. Well, so. Uh, fuck everything. Fuck everything?